Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. All right, everybody, this is Felicia, and I'm going to start us off with um, a face palm. <laughs> and that is that Wes is really just hilarious when it comes to talking right now. <laughs> she really is choosing to only say a few different words. And I'm saying choosing because if you ask her to say another word, she'll say it. But when she's communicating what she wants, she will only pretty much say people's names or like yellow, which is <laughs> anything that is a color, she communicates or requests with yellow. So her shoes, for instance, are red. And if she wants her shoes on, she'll just stand somewhere and scream, hello, hello. And you just have to guess what thing that's a color that she wants but everything's a color that's <laughs> really annoying and she gets so mad if you choose the wrong thing or she knows everybody in her family's name which is i think she feels like is her most powerful way of communicating so she'll you her go-to is to scream the person's name who is nearest the thing or has the thing that she wants <laughs> and guys it is my boys. It's so funny because after she gets done trying to like yell at someone for what she wants, they'll all they usually just look at me like, "Whoa, that was a lot." <laughs> like, we don't we don't know what to do here, and it's really cute. But it it's cute, but it's definitely facepalm because she gets loud. Because you can imagine if you can't ask for what you want, really at all, besides some word that's like maybe close to it, it gets frustrating because we don't know what she wants. <laughs> Does she yeah. do that awesome when she's doing those? Does she do the awesome, like, the tone she just says with mama? Oh. Mama. mama. <laughs> we went to Mexico a couple weeks ago, a few um, like a month ago. And I think that was my favorite part is Wes. I mean, I could see how it would be a face palm if you're, the, like, you're the mom. But I was the best. It was like a like a note she was singing, but, like, yeah. discordant <laughs> on purpose. Like, Mama, you know, <laughs> yes, yes, that's if she's not too upset yet, and then yeah. she takes to the scream. <laughs> yeah, okay, oh, I love it. It's so fun. I love that too. I think it's hilarious. I feel like sometimes, but it's so satisfying when you do get it right. Like, I think when I'm like trying to decode the message. It's like when you do get it and they get that you get it, it's like, yes, we got yes. it. <laughs> We're both on the same page. And they're so excited too because they're like, yes, you yes. <laughs> with me. Anyway, I know it's got to be frustrating. They're just trying to figure it out. But man, nothing more satisfying than when you do get it. Yeah. And you can actually give them what they want. So you know it. And that's not fun. But um, I love that. Um, okay. Well, mine is also, mine's a face palm also. And it is 
that Will, my one-year-old, is teething. But it's funny because I feel, so he's getting like his two little back molars in. But here's what's good about it. Well, there's two funny things about this. Number one is when Will first started teething. So, you know, when he was close to six months old. At some point I had, you know, Emmett had heard me say, I call him his little nubs. Because, you know, when they poke through, they're just little tiny nubs. And so I, you know, I'd say things like, oh, yeah, he's getting little nubs or like, with we have like some little teething rings that you can put in the freezer and Emmett really latched onto that like loves putting them in the freezer for Will and he's like I'm putting them in the freezer for baby Will's but it's cute because he doesn't call them nubs he calls them yubs (laughs) I don't know why but I like love that and so he'll say like oh it's for his little yubs (laughs) like like that too and I just like I love it and he's he latched onto it when he first got it so he hasn't gotten some new teeth in a while. And he's, Emmett will still say it. But recently I was like, oh, like he has like two little nubs coming in in the back. And so Emmett will be like, oh, his lid, his yiddle yubs. And, so <laughs> and I, I just love it so much. That's so that's so good. Cute. And that's he also, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I feel like too, there's been times where like, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but sometimes as a parent, it's like, you don't always, especially when they're babies, it's like you don't always know why they're crying or why they're fussy. So I feel like there's times where I'm like, oh, well, maybe he's teething. But I feel like eight out of 10 times, he's not teething. Like I actually never figure out why he was fussy. But then, but the thing is he had woken up like during the night and I was like, oh man, like why, why could he be, wait, because he hasn't woken up in the middle of the night for a long time. So I was like, oh, could he be sick? Could it be this? And then when I found that he had the little nubs coming in and the yebs coming in in the back, I was like, Oh my gosh, that makes sense. And it's always like a, again, it's a really satisfactory thing when it's like, that made sense. Like I know why, why that was. So as a parent, it's also just satisfactory to actually like have a reason. Cause sometimes, and actually a lot of times I feel like with babies, sometimes like, I don't know why he was fussy. Like, I don't know. And I probably never will. I tried, I tried to figure it out. But again, there were so many times with Emmett where I was like, he must be teething. That's it. And then like, he wouldn't get teeth for months. And so I was like, I have no idea why, why that happens. But this time he really was teething. And that is why he woke up. So it was good. Those were high Success. fives. Yeah. Um, I think I would like that as an excuse for myself. Just, you know, I'm teething today. It's just, yeah. Not, don't ask much of me because I'm teething. You know? <laughs> I feel like that's how it is for babies. Like we're pretty much like a year and a half of their life. If they're cranky, somebody, somebody in the room's like, oh, they're probably just getting a tooth, you know? <laughs> they just want that kind of grace given to me. Like, you know what? Me She's probably just teething. It's fine. It's the equivalent of emotional teething. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like that. I think I kind of want, if you guys could do that for me, I would appreciate that. Awesome. <laughs> for that validation. Uh, okay, well, I love it. That kind of sounded like I know it was a face palm, but it was kind of a high five because that yubs the way Emmett does his yubs. his L's when he says he says my name Tara Yin, and it mm-hmm. is the cutest. So okay, yeah, well, both of you also, have L's. Yeah, mine's also face palm, which triple face palms. Not wrong. Um, but mine is. Uh, I think I've done this before a long time ago, but mine is sleep right now, guys. I am just choosing deliberately i know that sleep is so important so i'm not glorifying lack of sleep i'm not saying it's not important sleep is so important it's part of very important part of of self-care and health and taking care of our bodies and yet i just don't know how to say no to the things that i 
I'm saying yes to. Like it's not, they're not bad <laughs> things. They're all great things that I really love and I don't want to give up. So I'm choosing to several nights in a row every week, not get a good amount of sleep. And it ends with Wednesday. So like Wednesday is my most tired day and I end with recording this podcast. And every time, every week I'm like, I mean, I know for other people it's like the weekend that they feel this, but for me it's Wednesdays. And I am just like, I mean, I could literally right now close my eyes and just fall asleep. And it's not, I just, I problem solved it in my mind and I just haven't been able to actually solve the problem because it's totally intentional, right? It's like a, I have this thing at night, it goes late. And then I have this thing in the morning that I'm choosing. And then I have all these things during the day that I really love that I'm saying yes to. So it's not like they're not bad things. It's just, I'm exhausted and I know I need to change something, but I just don't know what to change. So. Mine is that I'm not I'm not winning at that area in my life right now. So I, I think I got to do something, but I'm just not sure what. Oh, I feel you. I feel like for eight years I haven't gotten enough sleep. Eight <laughs> was yeah. born. <laughs> yeah, there is that like chronic feeling of tiredness, but like for me, it's like. But then also so... the late nights. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't really know. Anyway, so that's my, that's my face palm. I'm just literally, like, as you guys are talking, like, I'm feeling that feeling of, like, you know, can I take a nap after this? But I can't because then my kids are going after school and I'm teaching and, you know, so that's not going to happen. But Oof. Yeah. I know there were so many times growing up where I feel like I would be like, if I could just pause time, take a nap, and then resume again, that would be nice. I think that would just mm-hmm. be so good. I just need a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's hard once you have kids because – Oftentimes, even when I choose to sleep in to get more sleep, I feel remorse because it's yeah. never worth it. <laughs> no, no. I I'm always like, now I'm behind on everything. Yeah. yeah I did that last week and I was sad about it because I ended up waking up to my kids and they came in my room several times, like in the morning, you know, because like I have a daughter who has to get ready for cheer early in the morning. So it was one of those like I had set aside the time to sleep in and then I ended up just getting woken up several times and then I woke up and hadn't had my personal time and had so yeah it actually was like I don't actually think that was worth it so yes. that's not the solution anyway that's yes. so, hard oh okay. I feel you well thanks I am I am uh, sleep teething today so just <laughs> anyway. um, so okay so we are talking guys today about this book that blew I think it's safe to say, I speak for all three of us, blew our minds. I mean, we read a lot of good books, so it's really hard to say that, I, I mean, we love a lot of books, but I'm, I'm going to put this book top, like top, 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 top three parenting books I've ever read in my life. I mean, that's yeah, yes. safe to say. Mm-hmm. Like you, I would say if you're like, oh, I'm hesitant to like share parenting books with people who are supporting me in my parenting this would be one yeah mm-hmm. it's because like, so you have good. to be selective because I could just share a million books with you know my husband or grandparents or whatever that are helping you this would be a good overall really just set you up with a good foundation book yep yeah, yeah. yeah. and totally very concrete agree. tips love it yeah yeah for me yeah if I were to say like because I've always had four whenever people ask me for my top recommend like top parenting books I always say if you have babies Janet Lansbury her her book on babies is spectacular um I also really love 
The Child Whisperer by Carol Tuttle because it really helps you understand who your child is. And so far up until this point, I've always been recommending Peaceful Parents, Happy Kids, because I do really mm-hmm. like that. But I think this is going to mm-hmm. actually, for me, bump up to that spot. So mm-hmm. it's called Good. So for me now, I think I'd be those three. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bump Good Inside. Good Inside is the name of the book. And Felicia's words when we read this book was, how have we not read this book before now? Like, how have we read all these amazing <laughs> books? And to be clear, I'm not insulting any of the books we've read because they're incredible. But just the way she presents stuff, um, oh my gosh, it's just so good. And you know, guys, I'm sorry I even mentioned books because now there's like three other ones that have popped up that I'm like, I feel like I'm insulting them by not including in this category. <laughs> but I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> and talk about this one. It's called Good Inside. And the author is... Can somebody say the author off the top of their Nikki Kennedy. Dr. Becky Kennedy. Can you say it again? Dr. Becky Kennedy is the author. Thank you. We both said it at the same time, and I just want to make sure they heard it. Okay. So it is so wonderful. She has kids herself. She has, like, a really long time of private practice. And the thing I love about it is it takes all the things we talk about, and she just presents it in a really, really accessible way with scripts which I love I mean she'll she'll give you a concept and then actually give you a script like so this is how this would actually look with your child which I really love she it's for me it's the perfect balance of uh, you know we have an episode about authoritative parenting versus authoritarian or milit I like the military um, militant parenting versus permissive versus neglectful and authoritative is where you want to be where you have boundaries but you also have lots of love and connection. This book is right. The whole thing is in that quadrant of parenting and it's really great. So it's called good inside because the whole premise is that if we can look at ourselves and our children and frankly, every other human being around us through the lens, the pre like we're coming into with the knowledge that everybody is good inside. So when we're looking at a kid, that deeply we are good. No matter what our actions are, no matter what our words are, we are good inside. We automatically are coming in to our every interaction with our child, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Giving them, you know, I'm going to attribute, she actually has an acronym for it, but I'm going to attribute your actions with the highest, I'm going to look at it through like the most generous lens I can give you here right now. You know, I'm going to assume that you're just having a hard time with this and, but you're really good inside. And when we change that just in our brains, guys, just, I mean, honestly, if you could just take away this one concept that we are good inside, we are good people who have a hard time. Sometimes our kids are good kids who have a hard time. Sometimes it totally changes the way we treat people. And I love it. I mean, Brene Brown actually talks about if you start approaching human beings, just everybody who you come in interaction with, with the concept that they are doing their best. In fact, she asked her husband this, you know, what do you think about the concept that people are just doing their best? And he's like, I don't know if that's true or not, but all I know is that I treat people differently when I think that they're doing their best, right? If you just assume that people are with the tools they have, if you assume that if somebody cuts you off in traffic, that it's because something sad just really happened to them, you're going to, the feelings inside of you, the action, the circumstances are still the same, but what happens inside of you is way different than if you just think, oh my gosh, they're a jerk face and they're mean and malicious and all that kind of stuff. Then you have all these feelings inside of you. So the beautiful thing is this really applies to everybody, but I just love the concept that if we truly, the really painful parenting thoughts are where we start thinking things like, I got a bad kid. 
Like my kid is going to turn out to be a sociopath because they just did this. You know, we start feeling really, really fearful. And then we start acting out of fear. But if we can truly say my kid is good inside, I'm going to look at them through that lens and then look at their behavior from a space of our behavior is just a sign of what's going on inside. And it's not them. They are not their behavior. They are not their words. I mean, really, guys, we go Eckhart Tolle. We're not even our thoughts. We are something so much better, so much deeper. And so we're looking at them through that lens, that they are good inside. And if we can, if we can actually portray that to them as they grow, then they are going to be able to look at themselves with much more grace and be able to not be paralyzed by shame as they grow older. Which, if there's one gift we can give our kids, I think we've learned from past generations that if it's possible not to parent from a place of shame, they're going to have much more healthy adult relationships with themselves and with other people. Lives that are much more wholehearted if we can do that. So as you're listening to this, uh, I think as we talk about parenting stuff, so often we're like, yeah, that's great stuff. But I think I've already messed up my kid. You know, my kid is four. So I've already missed the baby years. I did the full, you know, I did all these things that I'm feeling bad about now. Or my kid is 12. I missed the entire joyful stage, responsibility giving stage. Now they're a tween. I don't have connection. I've been parenting with shame this whole time. I've been doing things like as you learn anything about respectful parenting, it is so easy to get caught up in, man, I missed the window. And there are also people listening who have kids who are 18 thinking the same thing. And I also know many of our listeners, our grandparents who are thinking my kid is 30 and I, I didn't, I didn't have that connection that I wanted, or I, I didn't look at them through that lens. They're good inside or I did parent with shame and punishment because I thought that was the only way to get things done because that's all I knew that was modeled to me. I mean, I know there are exceptions to this, but everybody I know in my parents' generation, every person I know how they were raised. So this is probably only a handful of people who have, eh, yeah, maybe a dozen or so, who have like shared how they were parented with me. All of them were parented with shame. And these are, you know, my grandparents were good people. They just didn't know how to parent any other way. They only knew behavior requires punishment, image matters, so therefore hide if something's going wrong, and I'm going to tell you over and over and over that you are bad when you do bad things. And they were just doing that because that was the only way they knew how to get results, right? And it does get results. So again, just looking at my parents, who I think are amazing. My parents did not parent with shame, but they were both parented with shame by good people. (laughs) You know what I mean? So what I'm saying is we have all sorts of people listening here. And what I want you to take away before we really dig into this episode is going to be really hopeful. How do we repair? How do we change the connections in our kids' brains? How do we actually rewire them? And the message here is that it is never too late. And if you want to really be inspired, listen to the chapter. I think it's called It's Never Too Late in this book. And actually even says, if you start feeling shame about your parenting, just come back and read this chapter because it's so good. Our kids at any age, any age, us coming to them with these skills we're going to talk about today of repair and connection, we can use any time. You can use them when your kid is 10. You can use them when your kid is 18. You can use them if your kid is 40. And Brittany Brown actually has really great stuff about that too. You can always go back and say, use these exact steps that we're going to talk about and say, this is something that I would have done differently. And I just want to 
connect with you right now. And that conversation has the power to rewire our memories in our brain for the better. So Mm-hmm. First, I just want to yeah. say everybody's good inside and it's never too late. So this is not a guilt situation. This is totally just a hopeful episode on how to repair. That's where we're going to start. How can we repair when things go wrong? Because all of us need to repair. That is literally what relationships are. We make mistakes. We connect. How do we How do we reconnect and repair? Yeah. Well, I... I have to agree. I love, I think there were so many things in this book. I feel like I loved every single thing, but one of the biggest takeaways that I loved that I hadn't really read anywhere else was she has a whole chapter and she calls it repair. And we're going to talk about some of those steps, but just to reiterate what Terilyn said that I absolutely love, because I think something that Dr. Becky says is like our goal. I mean, I'm going to paraphrase here, but our goal in parenting isn't to be perfect at doing some of these things because that's not really possible. We're working and we're practicing and we're getting better at being able to to parent in a way that creates connection and without shame and all of those things. But the truth is like, we are going to do things that we regret that we wish we wouldn't have said or done or acted with our kids. And I think the beautiful thing is, is that it's actually really good for our kids when we do choose to repair and, and I'll go through those steps. But like when we choose to go to them and say, it's more than just simply an apology, even though that's really good. Um, it helps our kids see number one, my parent does make mistakes. And number two, like it's bringing this, connection into maybe a situation that wasn't great an experience that they didn't have. And I love, she talks about that it's rewiring our kids' brains. And something that I really loved that she said is it doesn't matter if it's 10 minutes after the fact. So like, I'm going to give an example here of like, you go like, you know, you go into the room, you hear like crying and you like your toddler is, has like hit the baby or something. And that's something where it's like, it's really easy to be like, Oh my gosh, what is happening? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, whatever, fill in the blank with whatever it may be. And you act in a way it's like you yelled, you wish, like you acted more harshly than you wish you would have. It doesn't matter if it's 10 minutes after the fact, 10 hours, 10 days, or 10 years. Like, so Dr. Becky says like, you can repair at any point and it's still actually helping your child rewire. So again, like to Terrilyn's point, if your kids are older and you're looking back and thinking, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have acted in that way. The beautiful thing is that you can still seek to repair with your kids and there's healing and like a lot of really beautiful things that can come from that. So I just really love that, that it's like, even if it was like a few weeks ago, you can still do it and and that's good for you and your kids' relationship. So I just really love that. And I think for me, this was something that I haven't read in other parenting books was like this specific step. So, um, So some of the things that, it, um, the steps of repair are, so she talks about, so yeah, giving the experience of say you yelled at your kid, you acted more harshly than you wish you would have. So what you can do, what you try to do is a good repair goes further than an apology because you're actually building connection capital with your kid. So like in a time where it's like better, you can, so, and, and she actually, I guess I should say before we go into this too, you actually can, it's not like, Sometimes you don't go through every single one of these steps for a repair because sometimes it might simply be, hey, I acted in a way that I wish that I wouldn't have. You know, I, I yelled when I saw this happening. I kind of jumped in and it could be as simple as I wish I wouldn't have acted that way. Like, I'm sorry. And like, I'm going to try to be better. But sometimes we can like go through each one of these steps. So one of them is like share that you've been reflecting. So you kind of validate their experience, which is what I just said, where it's like, 
hey, I know today I walked in and I saw this happening and I got really upset and I yelled. And, um, and maybe you can even say like, if you noticed that they felt a certain way, so it's like, I noticed that that probably was really scary for you or was sad, or you can say like, acknowledge that their, what their experience was. So it's first you've been like, um, you've been reflecting, you acknowledge the other person's experience. Um, and then you state what you do differently next time. So it's like, what, what I want to do next time is like, if I see something like that, I will calmly like pull you two apart and say like, I'm going to have you sit over here. Or you can, so you can kind of say like, it's, we've talked about this before in past episodes where it's almost like a replay where, and we're teaching them that it's like when they make these kinds of mistakes, when they make a mistake that they wish they wouldn't have done something, they can actually rethink about it. This is what I wish I would have done. Cause, cause the truth is these experiences are going to happen again. So it's kind of helping them problem solve that. It's like, okay, if I lose my cool again tomorrow with baby brother or whatever it is, you're kind of like helping them like walk it through of like, this is what I can do next time. So when you're showing yourself doing these things, it's helping them see how they can do it too, which I think is really awesome. Um, so you state what you're going to do differently the next time. And then you connect through curiosity now that things feel safer. So it's like, then you're just connecting, you're ending with that connection and it's infusing connection into something that was kind of a break, which again, I think what I love about this is that it's always coming back to connection. And again, like, we aren't going to be perfect in parenting. We aren't going to have moments where we mess up, but we actually can even bring those mess up times and pull connection into it. And we do that by repairing, which I just, I like love that. It brings me a lot of hope as a parent because I I think when I was listening to this book, it was like, Ooh, I wish like, I want to do this differently. I want to do this, this differently. And the beautiful thing is that you can and repair is one of those things that we can use often to bring that connection in with our kids. Something I would like to add to this, these steps that she just shared that I really love about repair, um, when it says curiosity, connect through curiosity now that things feel safer, is repair. The cool thing about repair is you don't do repair when you're in the heat of the moment, right? Repair is for after. So sometimes for me that looks like two minutes after. Sometimes it looks like that night. Sometimes it looks like on Sunday when we're, I'm just thinking about the week and I'm like, oh man, you know what? Let's talk about that. I love it because you're not in a space of cortisol, so you can actually, everybody's feeling a little safer. So that's one thing, kind of takes the pressure off of, you don't need to do these steps in the heat of the moment, which I really appreciate. Something that blew my mind though here is, and yeah, we've talked about the concept that you can rewire your brain by going and replaying something. But something I really enjoy that I just want to point out here that Dr. Becky shares and that is, she says, the reason why it's so important to validate their experience, literally just, just by stating what happens. And she even says at the end of the night, uh, if you don't want to do a full repair, just stating this rewires their brains. So today, you know, I yelled, I was feeling really, I was feeling really frustrated. You were sad and you cried, right? Just saying, I'm mean, so you're like, you're just saying the facts and you can say your emotions in the facts. But there's two things that I want to point out here. One, that we never blame our emotions on our child. So we don't say, you were driving me crazy and I yelled, right? We don't say that. We say, I was feeling, we name our emotion, I was feeling really frustrated and I yelled. And you looked like you were feeling really sad and you cried, right? Like, so you're just saying the statements, but you're not blaming your emotions on your kids because we do not want to teach our children they're responsible for other people's emotions, nor... The other people are responsible for their emotions because 
that's where we lose our power, right? Like we're responsible for our own emotions, for our own thoughts. So, however, of course, as I say that, of course we have reactions to each other. And so, but the key is we still, as much as we can, we're owning that we are having an emotional experience, right? So we just name the emotion without blame and we name our actions without blame. So that's the first thing I just want to really point out because it's not a repair if you're like, I did this because you did this, right? Because then yeah, you're just absolutely. Blaming. So that's one thing that's really, I think, just a valuable thing to remember. Um, and the other thing that I really liked is she said that children specifically, because they're little and they depend so much on the adults in their lives. I've actually never heard this from a psychologist standpoint, but it's fascinating to me. I've heard this in, well, I've actually, now that I'm saying that, I've heard it in like roundabout ways, but that when we react to our children in a way that is not connecting, because attachment is so important for children's survival in a deep, deep, like DNA level way, anything that threatens that attachment is really scary for them. And that's something we come back to over and over and over that really explains children's behavior. But that for a child, they either, when their, when their parent does something that is disconnecting, so shows anger, yells, shames in any way, unvalidates their emotions, you know, by saying like, stop crying or whatever. A child, she said, they can respond several ways. You can either just, you know, feel bad or feel angry. But a lot of times they actually, their brain says, there's no way that could have actually happened. Like my, my mom is usually, you know, she's nice a lot of the times. So they internalize that something's wrong with them. That's why shame is so powerful in a bad way that they internalize. I, something's wrong with me. My parent can't handle who I am. And that's why they're reacting like that. Or literally they change the story in their mind because their brain's trying to protect themselves. So they think, uh, you know what? Maybe she didn't do that. And I didn't even like, this wasn't even on my radar guys as something that a children, a child would do in their head, but just like as a defense mechanism, you know, maybe that wasn't, maybe that didn't happen like that. And they start to doubt their own reality, which the downside to that is when they become adults, they start doubting their own perception of things. And you want, we all want our kids to be able to, first of all, own their own emotions, feel them, be able to process them, but also be able to see other people's actions clearly. And not always if somebody does something to think, oh, this must be my fault. Or, you know what, maybe I just remembered that wrong. You know what I mean? And so she said, just by simply validating, just saying the statements in a moment of connection. So the key is when you do a repair or any of these things, it's in a moment where things are calm. But if you're feeling connected to them, you're looking at them in their eyes, things are like safe and you say, you know, it could be about them and their brother. Today, you know, Tyler took your toy and you really wanted that toy and you felt angry and so you hit him and then you both cried. Like you're literally just saying the statements. You're not saying like, you're not making them feel bad about it. You're not like blaming anybody for anything. You're literally just saying a statement. What you're doing is you are just validating in their mind that that actually happened. Or I, as your caregiver, really did yell. Like, I'm just pointing that out to you so you don't have to question your own reality. And I don't know, mm -hmm. and I just I never heard that before, but I really love the value. And she said just that, just that alone in a moment of connection helps rewire their brains. What the message they receive is, wow, I am safe. My perception of reality is accurate. That really did happen. And then if you can follow up with those other steps of this is what I'd like to do differently next time or, and like you're having it be a moment of connection and love. I think it's just so beautiful and so powerful and just so hopeful. 
that it's so simple, but we're literally just validating and acknowledging our child's experience in a moment of connection. And that has all this power to rewire stuff in their brains. It's incredibly inspiring for me. Yeah. I've had really sweet moments with specifically Cohen. I, I think there's a lot of times in parenting where you're, you're trying to do these things, do your very best to not shame, to repair, to parent in this wholehearted way. And sometimes you're like looking around and being like, wow, like these, like, you know, fear tactics are getting a lot more results than I'm getting here. And (laughs) it can feel like, is this even working? But I think like with a lot of good things, it can take time. And I've seen with, with Cohen that in the last, you know, year, he will initiate a repair where he acted in a way that he didn't feel good about towards me. Um, and it's like, oh my gosh, though, like, it's just really cool to see all those times that I went back and apologized, which can feel super like humbling as a parent because you're, you, at least for me, it's like you get in this mindset of like, I'm the adult. I know what's right. You're doing something wrong. Da, 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 da. Like, I don't need to apologize for this. Like, this is what you should have been doing. Like, it starts to get like this in your mind. Like, I'm the leader. But, and so sometimes for me, repairs have been super, like, humbling in moments where it's like, in my mind, I'm like, well, the what you did was wrong. And my response was to teach you that it was wrong. You know, you get in that like cycle. And so to repair hasn't, has been hard in those situations. But now that I've seen like the dividends of repairing that connection with my kids, apologizing, um, acknowledging your part in the situation. I think that's really important for kids to see that even if you feel like the other person did something wrong, it's important to acknowledge what you could do better in any situation. And I've seen it pay off with my oldest where now he's like, you know, apologizing for things that he's done that could have hurt other people's feelings in some sort of way. And it's really, it's really sweet to see that like come full circle. Okay. So we've, we've touched a little bit on the overarching point of this book, which is that our kids are good, we are good, um, and that even though our kids do things that might disturb us, <laughs> um, they are still good people and we are good people. And if we can focus on our connection with them over their behaviors, then our relationship will end up in a, in a more wholehearted space. So I think what's really important to emphasize when it comes to that is that we have certain, um, Dr. Becky calls them jobs or roles inside our family. So our kids have a job, we have a job. And I think where this gets tricky is that I think a lot of times as parents, we think my job is to make my kid be happy. So if my kid is unhappy 
or emotionally dysregulated or mad about something or annoyed at something we have to do at a boundary, then I'm failing at my job as a parent. Um, And I think just reframing that in our minds that it is not our job for our kids to be happy. It's not our job to keep our kids happy. Our job is to, I mean, we have lots of jobs, but I'm saying like when it comes to our emotional regulation with our kids, we set a boundary with connection and love and our kids can feel anything that they want or need to feel about those boundaries. And it sounds like really simple just to say that sentence, but when you set a boundary and your kid starts swinging punches and screaming and you're stupid and you're the worst mom ever, blah, 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 uh, you start to question your job. (laughs) So I just, I think that reframe in your mind Okay, my job is to set and hold the boundaries with love and connection. And their job, literally our kids' whole purpose is they can have the emotion that they want to have about that boundary. It really helps me uh, stay more calm and firm when I'm setting limits for my kids. Mm -hmm. And I like how she, I I think that's liberating when we realize that, right? That they can respond however they want. And our job is just still to hold the boundary and to show them that we can handle all of their emotions. We can handle it because that's the question children are asking us when they really lose it like that. They're asking, am I too much for you? Am I? And mm-hmm. the answer is no, of course not. I can, I can totally handle you. And when I don't handle you well, guess what? I'm going to repair it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to point out that I didn't do it the best. But the idea here is it, it really is liberating when we realize that that's our job to hold the boundary with love. Their job is to react however they're going to react to it, right? Because they're experimenting with their own power. And those words you said specifically, Felicia, the I hate you, you're the worst mom in the world. Um, I really like what Dr. Buggy says about that too. She says if we can reframe that when they say those things to us, they're responding to the emotion inside of them that feels really bad because they're feeling something yeah. really big when they say those kind of words. So if you start, if you just reflip it in your mind to say they're talking to that emotion, I hate you, you're the worst in the world, um, it feels so much better. It's not an insult actually against you. I mean, I've had, <laughs> there was once, this is just a few months ago, my 11-year-old daughter, she's she like yelled that out. And literally, guys, I mean, it was one of those, I mean, things were calm. Things weren't even like, I think I just said no to something, right? She was really upset about it. And my two boys, like, and she like, you know, runs out of the room. I think it was something like, you know, no, I, you know, I, we're not going to do that right now as a family. We're going to do it later. I don't even remember what the situation, but it was like a low, like, even in my mind, I was like, this wasn't even an emotional situation. Like, I'm just like doing the dishes over here. Oh, I think I was, I think I asked her to do her chore. Anyway, and it's funny because my boys look over at me and they all both look at me like, that was, like, you could tell they were like, that was a little uncalled for. But, and my, my son was like, mommy, you're the best mommy in the world and you're so nice. And I was like, well, thank you for saying that. You could tell he was like, I didn't get what she's saying there. But the cool thing is when I realized she's just literally, she's experiencing an emotion that she's feeling a lot about right now. And I I didn't bring it up right then, but it's interesting when we talked about it later that night, she was like, of course I didn't mean that. You know what I mean? She, if we can look at it, they're just talking to their emotions. It really changes the whole thing that they're just reacting to their really strong emotion. And it isn't so personal. So Felicia, what I hear you saying is when we look at it as like, this is our job, this is their job, 
it takes out the whole like this is a personal insult against my humanity if they didn't do their job perfectly you know if they didn't do their chore perfectly and now they're mad you know or Mm -hmm. I told them they couldn't have that thing and now they're saying that I'm so mean it's much less personal if you just look at it as they're just responding how they're going to respond and my job is to hold it which is no we're not doing that right now whatever it is so that to me is really 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 liberating and it disconnects the behavior from the the person and I think that's really important because you almost like neutralize I mean in the book uh, Dr. Becky says you can use behavior as a window so you can see more clearly um, maybe a need that your child has but I like to envision the behavior as more this you know benign thing that isn't like it's like if you're like looking at your kid, there's like the behavior floating over here that they're they're using as a communication tool for need or as a way to offload emotion. Um, but under the behavior is your actual child, <laughs> a real person. So I think just remember that our focus should be on our connection with our kid over our response to their behavior. And honestly, sometimes that means you basically just completely ignore their behavior. Because guess what? A lot of the times they know that screaming, yelling, you calling you stupid, hitting, you know, all that stuff, they already know that that is not a good behavior. And so you can focus on what's going on underneath this that you have this strong need that is making you feel so mad that you're hitting. And I think that just, I'm going to focus on the person and our connection over the behavior. It doesn't mean that you don't set boundaries, limits for these behaviors, but they're not your focus. Because I've definitely had tons of moments where I'm focusing on the behavior. And not only does it feel just like, like this isn't the point almost, but also you can, I can always like see my kid and they still have this feeling, this underlying need that I haven't addressed. And I can tell, like, they're almost like saying to me with their eyes, like, that's not the point, (laughs) you know? And so I just like doing that mindset shift, like focus on them, connect. The behavior is secondary. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one line of behavior is a window for me, she has a whole chapter on that. But actually, even that one line in my mind, like if if you see a behavior that's hard with your kid, just that one line helps me because it's like, this isn't my kid. Like you said, it's not my kid. It's a window into seeing what's deeper there. And I think it, it is. It's a really good lens to look through. So when we talk about practical tips that are actually really helpful, I actually think just having that as a lens to look through is that it's like, if my kid is losing it about something or yeah, like does X, Y, or Z that's annoying or, or hurtful or whatever it is, it is simply a window into something deeper. And we can look at it as that rather than, oh my gosh, my kid is disrespectful or my kid is defiant or this. They're just, they are good inside. They're a good kid just having a hard time and we can be that safe place for them. Yeah, I agree. This all leads us into, I think the most powerful concept in all of I mean, I think all of parenting, that it comes down to connection. And 
shame is like the biggest the biggest deterrent to connection so this really leads into us when we're talking about shame and that our children are not the behavior i just want to point out that dr becky's definition of shame is one of my favorites i've ever heard Brene brown's was my first favorite i've ever heard and this is right up there with it she says that shame is when we think that this part of me is not connectable that we have to hide this part of us so you know Brene brown says that shame is thinking that we are bad when we make mistakes instead of the action is bad. But I like this because it goes even deeper, that we think that when we do something wrong, that we need to hide it because this part of us cannot be lovable. This part of us cannot connect to the people around us. And as human beings, because we're designed to connect, especially children, because connection means survival. When children feel shame, they realize, they, they start thinking they need to hide stuff. So then they start sneaking things and they, they literally grow up thinking, I cannot show all of myself to the people around me because if so, I'm going to lose connection. I'm not going to be lovable. So this, the beautiful thing about this, if we look at it through this lens, if we look at our parenting as teaching our children that all parts of them are lovable, and we can go into this deeper another time, but about it's internal family systems, remembering that we are a sum of all of our parts and all of our parts can actually integrate together. Even the part of us that wants to hurt somebody when we're mad and the part of us that is wonderful at, at achievement and that everybody loves from the outside, right? All those parts of us are pieces that can fit together and can integrate and all of us can be lovable. So that to me is the takeaway of this whole repair concept. It's never too late. Is that if we're looking at our children as good inside, just good kids having a hard time sometimes. And I love that phrase. That's actually my, one of my favorite things. She says it over and over and over. You can say to your kid, you're just a good kid having a hard time right now. I love that. That we are teaching our kids, we can handle all of you, all the parts of your lovable, even the part of you that flipped out, even the part of you that lied about that thing, even the part of you that hit. Like all of you is connectable. And I'm going to help you as a parent set boundaries to keep yourself safe and I even love it. She says, my job here is to keep you safe. So I'm not going to let you hit, right? I'm, I'm actually going to hold your hand to keep you from hitting because my job is to keep you both safe. So you're still stopping dangerous behavior, but you are literally saying with your words and your actions that I can see all of you and you don't have to hide yourself from me. All of you is connectable, all of it. And for me, that was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Even looking at myself, because there are parts of myself that I don't like. And to, for me to say to myself, all parts of me are connectable, that they can actually work together. She always says both things are true. It can be true that I really do have good intentions in this and also that I hurt somebody's feelings. Both of those things can be true together. And to integrate them and realize I don't actually have to compartmentalize or even hide that. It's okay. To me, is was the most powerful part of this whole concept of repair and feeling hopeful is that we, we can teach ourselves and our children that all every single part of us can exist together and integrate and that we are lovable and connectable. So that to me is the most powerful part of this whole, this whole section of this book. I agree. <laughs> this book had so many amazing things. Um, we, we're definitely going to have a part two here. We haven't even touched behaviors and how you can respond to um, your child being fearful. Maybe if you have an oversensitive kid, um, shyness. We even are going to go into Dr. Becky's tips on sleep, which are really fantastic. So we will be back with part two 
Um, we hope that they, this gives you a good foundation. If anything today, you can look at your kid a little bit differently, try to connect instead of focus on the behavior. All right, let's find the magic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, just a quick reminder to use code FINDTHEMAGIC to receive $50 off any Gab wireless device, watches, phones. Let's keep our kids safe on tech as they go back to school, but also safe and aware of where they are. So again, that's Gab Wireless with code FINDTHEMAGIC. You can receive $50 off any device. Brown cows. <laughs> 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 <laughs>